Welcome to the Stop Over Drinking and Start Living podcast, where high-achieving, goal-oriented rebel women come to learn how to live a vibrant and fulfilling life without requiring alcohol to get through it. No labels, no judgments, no saying you'll never drink again, just real proven methods to help you stop rebelling against yourself with alcohol so you can drink less and do more. I'm your host, Angela Masenik. Let's dig in. Welcome to episode 188, Knowing What to Do and Not Doing It. Hello, hello, hello. How's everybody doing? Oh my gosh, I feel like so much has changed in my life (laughs) in a very short amount of time. So last week, I recorded my podcast from my friend's house who was traveling. I'm back at home now. And we've got a couple more weeks of summer, summer camp. My husband has rented an office outside of the house. We are all celebrating some new routines and some new spaciousness. And um, yeah, it's, it's feeling really good and hopeful. We have been all on top of each other, as most of you all have for, you know, two and a half years since this whole pandemic thing started. And, you know, I don't think that we were meant for that. <laughs> You know, my husband and I met um, in college, and then we got together actually when I was living in Seattle and he was living in San Francisco. So we long distance dated for a while before we moved in with each other. I actually moved from Seattle to San Francisco to be with him. And still to this day, like we have some of our best conversations and connect more when we're both traveling. Like we are talk on the phone and like we really show up for those conversations together. Um, And we both recognize that, you know, sometimes the day to day sort of domestic type crap um, isn't so much fun (laughs) when we're both here all day, every day for years on end. So we're making some changes and it feels really, really good. And you know, it just goes to show like we don't have to do things the way we thought we did, right? So like even when we look at our relationship with alcohol, you know, we have a lot of deep-rooted belief systems around it. Like we can't have fun without drinking or we can't go on vacation without drinking or you know, other people are going to ask me a lot of questions and it's just it feels really impossible to think that there could be a different way, right? Like because we've only known this way for so long. Um and what our society tells us, right? So there's a lot of programming and conditioning around alcohol and our relationship with it and other people and all of it, right? And so when we start to shift and want to improve our relationship with alcohol, we have to question that. We're like, well, what's right for me? You know, like what if we don't go along with the pack and drink at every social function and on every vacation all day, right? So that's the same thing in all of all aspects of our lives, right? We have to check in to make sure with what we're doing and it is it good for us. And sometimes the the standard, you know, American family lifestyle, you know, maybe not doesn't work for every single family, right? So and I'm not saying that we're making significant changes, but it's like, okay, so you know, we're, we're rubbing up against things, right? Like it's hard for everybody to be in the house all day, every day. So like, okay, well, how can we shift that and be okay with that? Um, 
Also, my husband and I don't like to sleep in the same bed. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with that, right? He snores. I'm a very light sleeper, and that really bugs me when I don't get a good night's sleep, right? And so we're making arrangements that, like, we have two beds. I just ordered a new bed, new bedding, like making up a little cozy lady corner in our bedroom so we can still sleep in the same room and be close to each other, but not be in the same bed. And so this past week, I think giving myself a break and looking at, you know, giving, putting myself in a different sort of living situation with staying at my friend's local, um, helped me see that there might be a different way to do things. And I know this, right? Because this is what I teach. I've changed my life so much by questioning societal norms and breaking outside of the box and doing things my way. But this part of like the living stuff and the family stuff, I hadn't really explored yet. But it just, sometimes when you put yourself in a new space or a new situation, it helps you see things differently. And it opens your mind up to being willing to do things differently, right? And it doesn't have to be black and white. It doesn't have to look so like a big departure of what you think it might, right? So a lot of times when people want to change their relationship with alcohol, they're like, oh my gosh, that means it's like the very end of the scales. Like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to be with my friends and my everybody, you know, drinks in my family and I'm not going to be able to go hang out with them and I'm not going to be able to do the things that I do and my whole life is going to change. And I just want to offer to you that that can happen if you want it to, but that doesn't, it doesn't have to be so binary, right? So you can play around and be open and creative to making it work for you and you know, I think that this past week for me has been a really good example of that. It's like, you know, when we're looking at changing our living situation, our domestic responsibilities with each other, you know, a lot of times we think of like the worst case scenario. It's like, oh, I got to move out or, you know, something needs to, you know, dramatically change. And that doesn't have to be like we can, we're both so excited to have our own beds right? And like to have our own sheets and our own pillows and like the exact thing, things that we like, right? And we still get to enjoy the same bedroom. So I just want to offer you that. Be creative, be open to, yes, you want to make some changes, but don't think that it has to be this all or nothing approach, right? Or you have to completely upheaval what's happening with you and, you know, specifically with your relationship with alcohol. So that being said, I want to dive into this topic of, you know, a lot of times we know what to do, right? We know what to do to change our relationship with alcohol or, you know, maybe it's to get a different job or maybe you want to get a promotion or maybe you want to improve a relationship or whatever it is. And we know what we need to do, but for some reason we're not doing it or we might start off really well and maybe it is very binary maybe you you know bite off more than you can chew and you go all in on something and you follow all the rules perfectly and then we start sabotaging or going backwards and i just want to offer you a perspective here that is something that i've been working on and i want to ask you open that up by asking you some questions so when you think about your relationship with alcohol and you know what to do. So say you're in my coaching program, or you've been listening to this podcast and I've given you the basics, you know, and how to do that. And you say you're going to do it and you make a drink plan and you are willing to feel your emotions and you're all set to process your urges and then you still drink or 
you know, maybe you um, have planned to have two drinks and you just are constantly drinking more than that. Okay. So this is what I want you to pay attention to. So if this is you, I'm sure there's a lot of you that resonate with this, but think of back into the first time you've ever drank or the first time you remember having a fun experience with alcohol. Okay. So think about that for a second. Now, you probably have a memory that has been called up in your mind, yes? <laughs> okay. And with that memory, I want you to think about what you felt emotionally in this experience that you had with alcohol, okay? And it might be a positive memory, okay? So for me, one, one memory that really stands out when I asked myself this question recently, it was like, Oh, I remember being in college. I had just moved. I, you know, I had taken some local classes part-time at the local um, Purdue Extension where I went to school. And then I moved down to the Purdue uh, West Lafayette main campus. And I moved in with one of my greatest high school friends and somebody that she met at Purdue. So it was the three of us who rented this, you know, party house together, basically. And we went to a party one weekend. And I remember wanting to like be that girl, like that cool girl that like, you know, was kind of edgy and like, liked to party and like was, you know, a little bit more risky and out there. And I remember intentionally drinking in a way that would make me seem fun. Right. And, you know, I overdid it and I fell into their bathroom and it was like hysterical laughing and all of, like, I, I fell into their bathtub and like knocked down the shower curtain. Okay. And I remember like hysterically laughing about that. And there was also a boy there that I thought was cute. And like, I wanted to maybe make out with him or something like that. And, but I remember feeling like this need to be recognized and to connect. Okay. I remember wanting that. And using alcohol to do that. So when I drank in that situation, I felt um, more uninhibited, right? And I, like, more of myself was exposed, right? So it was like this uninhibited feeling to feel more connected, to be more liked, okay? And so when I think about that now, like, fast forward 25 years, I'm like, oh, that's so interesting. It's almost like I was using it to be validated, like I was good enough or cool enough or pretty enough or interesting enough, okay? And so that helps me really understand this emotional connection that I had with the alcohol. And it served me in that time and I kept feeding that need over time with my relationship with alcohol because I got positive feedback from it. Okay, so people laughed. Um, you know, I probably, I went back to this house more and, and we talked about that funny time where I fell into the bathtub and knocked down the shower curtain. Ha ha ha. Right. And like, you know, I kind of got on this, I, I adapted this persona as that girl, that party girl in college. Okay. So when I want to change my relationship with alcohol and I've already done this, but like looking back now, you know, five or so years ago, and I would say I wasn't drinking, or I would say, oh, I was only going to have one or something like that. I didn't know that I had attached my drinking to these feelings that I wanted to achieve. Okay. Just stay with me here. 
And this was all very unconscious, okay? So when you have those types of experiences from a younger age and you use something like alcohol or food or maybe shopping or sex or something like that to achieve a certain emotional state and it kind of works, right? And you you unconsciously attach to what that feels like for you. Then your brain is motivated for you to go get it again, okay? And if you don't recognize some of these things from initially when you first started using something like alcohol or food or whatever it is for you, it will be very hard to change because we haven't really looked at that yet. Okay. So what I teach in my programs and through all my classes and here on the podcast is that we over drink because we're hoping to achieve a feeling that we currently don't feel in the moment. Okay. And that can get you really far. That can help you pause and understand, okay, I'm stressed right now. I understand that I want to drink to alleviate that stress and I want to feel relaxed, right? But I think it's really important. It's a really important exercise to go back even further to understand that initial connection that you had with alcohol. So I recently did this with food and I've been looking at my past in these I, you know, very emotional connections that I've had with food. And I've done a a few exercises on this. One was with pizza. And I sent an email out to my email list about this huge breakthrough that I had around pizza. And I was literally in the shower thinking, asking myself these same questions I'm sharing with you about pizza. (laughs) I love pizza, you know, and it's definitely a food that I tend to overeat. And so because of that, I, I try not to have it very much because I don't trust myself so much around it. Now, yes, there has been times where many times where I've only had like a couple of pieces of pizza and not overdone it. But generally, I don't like planning for it because, you know, I really like it a lot <laughs> and I tend to want to overdo it. Or I won't plan to eat pizza and I'll go off my food plan and like order it when I'm really tired and I don't feel like cooking or something like it's definitely like a comfort food for me. Okay. So I was thinking about pizza in the shower and I was like, when was the first time I had pizza and really enjoyed it? And it took me immediately back to my middle school years and, and, and with my friend Tiffany and we used to spend each other, um, spend the night at each other's house almost every other weekend. And one specific memory popped up where she was spending the night at my house. My parents had gone to bed and we were in my basement And there was like a spare bedroom down there or yeah, spare bed down there. And we would sleep down there. And after my parents would go to bed, we would call up the pizza place and order a pizza. And we had a very specific type of pizza we liked. We liked seven cheese pizza from Jill Sassimo's in Chesterton, Indiana. (laughs) And so we would call up the pizza place and we would like sneak up the stairs and the stairs were super creaky. And like we would open up the door and greet the pizza guy and then like creep back downstairs and like sit in the bed and eat it. And it was so good. And it was so like, it was freeing because I was making my own decisions, right? It was like, Ooh, I'm adult enough that I can call up the pizza place and have something delivered at night and pay for it myself. So it was like this freedom feeling, right? It was like this, you know, spaciousness, freedom, like, you know, unattachment to rules. And that felt so good, right? Like emotionally, that felt so good. And the taste of the pizza combined, it was like, oh my God, heaven, right? And 
I had never really looked at that before. And then when I think about my relationship with alcohol, it was very similar. It was like, Ooh, I'm an adult now. I can go out and buy alcohol and drink it and get drunk and like go flirt with boys and go out dancing all night. Like it was definitely like this freedom, like, you know, departure from the rules that, you know, my family had put upon me. So just to give you even more context to this, you know, I was put on a diet when I was eight years old. So my parents really controlled what we ate. Um, we never had any like snack food in the house. Um, if we wanted like cookies or something, we had to make them from scratch. So I have a big attachment to chocolate chip cookies. Um, you know, and then like, as I got older and I was able to do some of these things on my own, it really, it just made sense. Right. So because I was a tied to that emotional feeling of freedom that came with that pizza. And I'll tell you what, like when I, when I saw that in the shower, it was like unraveling a spool of yarn. It made so much sense to me why it was so hard to like not eat so much pizza. Right. Because I unconsciously attached that feeling that I experienced at that time in my life to the food. Okay. And you probably have that with alcohol too. And I really, really recommend that you do this exercise and think about some of those first times that you've had with food or alcohol and go back, go back to your childhood, go back to your young um, formative years and think about some of those things. Make a list of the things that you really enjoy that are hard for you not to have. Okay. Alcohol, different types of food, something like that. Okay. And then try to recall some of those, those positive memories that you've had with those things and try to remember what you felt like. Okay. And what feelings those created for you. So I had another one with my grandfather my grandpa O'Neill, I, again, chocolate chip cookies, <laughs> you know, we were left, we, um, came home after school in middle school, maybe even fifth grade for me at fifth grade through middle school and definitely in high school, you know, both my parents worked, So we would come home after school and there wouldn't be anybody there. So that's a lot of the times when I snacked again, spaciousness, aloneness, being alone, having my alone time. is very important to me today. And like using the food to, to comfort and kind of rebel, and, you know, we would be bored or whatever, and we'd make chocolate chip cookies, or we'd have people over and we'd make chocolate chip cookies as something to do. And I remember I made a batch of chocolate chip cookies, and they didn't turn out right. Like, I think I missed putting some ingredient in there, maybe baking soda or something. And they turned out really flat and kind of like gooey, but they were kind of crispy around the edges. And I saved them or whatever. I put them in the cookie jar, and my grandpa came over. And uh, he's like, oh, you got any cookies? <laughs> and I was like, I do, but, you know they're not very good. And I fucked them up or whatever. And so he ate one and he's like, Oh, these cookies are so good. Oh, I really like the way they turned out. They're perfect. And like, I just felt so validated in that moment. And I felt so much love from him around those cookies. Right. And so I remember like, Oh, and I like, I ate one with him and like, we connected over this cookie and so now when I look at chocolate chip cookies, you know, it's a totally different experience. I see that comfort in them, that love in them, that, that feeling that, you know, my brain associates with eating that food. Now I can see that so much clearer, right? And as a grown adult, I know, and because I'm a coach and I know how feelings are actually generated now, 
I can tell myself, you know what? You can feel validated on your own. You can feel that love and connection. It's not really inside the cookie and I can work through that and process my urges and my feelings now. So I really recommend that you guys make that list. Look at some of those earlier memories that you, you positive memories that you've had around your relationship and different times that you drank. And if if food, if you have you know a list of foods of things that you really don't want to overeat, I recommend that you do that too because it will help you understand why you're not doing it. And even though you know what you're supposed to be doing. And when you see that more clearly and you get to a deeper root of some of those experiences with yourself, it will be easier for you to follow through on not having some of those things so often or at least not overdoing it, right? Like it's one thing to have a cookie or a slice of pizza or a glass of wine, but that's y'all aren't here and listening to this podcast because that's what you're doing, right? You're doing it because you're overusing it and it's because there's some something underneath there too that we've attached emotionally to those things that we consume. And I, I'm here to tell you, you can undo that. And it's not like you're never going to have enjoyment or pleasure out of these things again. Or remember the people or those fun times that you had, it's just different, right? And you can make better decisions seeing that and learning how to create those feelings that you actually want on your own without needing those foods or alcohol to achieve that, right? And we do that by looking at what we think about ourselves and looking, you know, what we think about our lives and all of that on a more conscious level, okay? So I'm going to be talking more about this in my coaching program. I'm going to be taking my clients through some of these exercises and you know, if you've been really struggling with this for a long time, like I have, it really does, it really is helpful for you to have somebody to go through these exercises with and to verbalize. And I can ask you these questions and kind of pull some of this stuff out and help you process some of this. Um, so I really recommend that you, if you've been considering joining my coaching program, there really has not been a better time. I talked about this last week, but At the end of the month, we're doing a retreat. It's called Connecting With Your Body. I'm bringing in some outside experts. We're doing some yoga. We're going to do some breathing. We're going to do a sensory experience. I'm going to be leading a session on processing your feelings. And it's going to be really, really awesome for you to learn some of these skills so that you will be set up when you face the challenges and the obstacles of wanting to cut back on whatever it is with alcohol or food and having the skill sets on board where I can teach you and guide you to be able to move the needle on accomplishing the goals that you have for yourself around this stuff. Okay, so you can click through, look at the three videos, fill out an application. If you have any questions about it, um, please just send us an email at hello at angelamasenic.com. We are actively enrolling right now. So once you submit your application and you're approved and you finish your registration, you are in. So your six months starts then, and then you have access to all the materials, the coaching calls, our private Facebook community, and more. And you get to come to our retreat at the end of August. So I love you all. I hope that was helpful, and I would love to hear your feedback on that. If you do some exercises, let me know. You can send me an email too. All right, my friends. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.